Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the vine. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bindings. I'm Max Lopez and today we are going to be uh, not necessarily capping off It by Stephen King, but we're going to be continuing it and we will be doing one more episode that might end up having to be split up because I've officially finished It and I've got Brian rereading it. He wanted to come on and talk about it. I think we could probably get quite a bit of conversation out of It, so... We I don't we don't really have any plans. I'm gonna go over to his house. He's gonna set up his little studio situation. We're gonna see what we get out of it. Maybe it'll be one big episode. Maybe I'll have to break it up into parts. It doesn't really matter. But no, regardless, I'm excited about it. And especially because episode one, I didn't. I just kind of went over the first three parts. I didn't get into any of like my perceptions and any. Uh, I got more into the, I would say, kind of the fine details. I just tried to cover the story, essentially, which usually I go for, you know, tail end of the episode or sometimes a full episode just kind of hit for the theme. But I'll tackle that a little bit today, but I'm going to really tackle it mainly with Brian and kind of talk about characters, character development, King's style in it, what makes it unique and what makes it uh, unique compared to other King books, because it's very much so, it kind of is in its own little weird realm, and boy can it get weird, and at, at this point in the story, through part three, so at this point, everybody's back in Derry, which we experienced through part three, and that's including the entire Losers Club, so we have, at that point, Mike Hanlon was already back, Bill Dumbro, uh, Richie Tozier, Beverly Marsh, Eddie, I'm, I, I don't have anything written down, surprisingly, right now. I guess I could just open up my stuff. Ah, it doesn't really matter. Eddie, Stan Uris killed himself, so he's not there. And that, I believe, is everybody. I, I believe I'm correct in there. Um, Richie, Richie, Bill, Beverly, Mike, Eddie and stands that oh ben of course ben hanscom so ben is is back as well and this is kind of the cool interesting part of it is where he starts telling these stories even more simultaneous than he was before where throughout parts one through three everything is told in the way of like you get a chapter of the 50s and then you get a chapter of the 80s 50s 80s 80s. Now, going through this, and especially going into part five, the ritual of Chud, you are fully getting a chapter goes from section to section will be split in that way. And it's pretty cool the way that he continues to weave these stories. The last episode I described it as, if you can think of five, you know, these threads, each character is a thread. They have their thread as a kid, they have their thread as an adult, and he's starting to lay them over each other at this point. Um, and the, these the these connections are becoming even more close, which is really kind of the interesting part of it in comparison to a lot of his other stories. Which, in this degree, like I would say, compare the only book that this can compare to as far as like true character development for a good amount of characters 
is the stand as far as Stephen King's concerned. I'm, I'm going to set the Dark Tower completely aside, although I believe that our full quartet in the Dark Tower is incredibly well developed and incredibly well realized, especially going into the seventh book. But I would say the only thing that compares to it in that way as far as that development of a larger number of people, both... Um, both on the front line as our main characters or as supporting characters or even villains outside of outside of it or Pennywise himself or herself or however you want to look at it. Um, because it is kind of this weird thing, especially when we get introduced like fully to what Pennywise is or what it is at, officially at the end of the story. So this is kind of a cool part going into part four, which is called July of 1958. And this entire section here is just the 50s. And then when we go into part five, that's when we get that, that inclusion of both the 50s and the 80s at one time through a part, which is really, really cool. Now this starts with a very essential section. Uh, it's titled The Apocalyptic Rock Fight, where Mike Hanlon is being chased down by Henry Bowers and his crew of flunkies, essentially. And this is such an important part because this is Mike's first introduction into the Losers Club as kids, which is really, really important and obviously really, really essential in the, the binding of these two tales as Mike is the person who calls the Losers Club, reminds them, doesn't really remind them, but plants the seed of the reminder of what Derry was because at that point before they got that call from Mike nobody none of them knew what they, they didn't know any of the happenings in Derry they had completely forgotten it it's some connection between the town and what the stranglehold that it has over the town which is very interesting and surprisingly enough unless you've read the story before like I have the losers actually do win the apocalyptic rock fight which is pretty amazing and that kind of stems forward into this bond that they all have and their relationships continues to grow and that fostering of just companionship is essential and honestly a huge theme in this story is companionship and love just in general love even in its most simple form of just the love we have for somebody that we care for deeply and it's really really important in the story and continues to become more and more important all the way up into the very very end which is really cool even the very final scene with bill dembro and his wife audra is like helping to show the bond that we can create with one another and what that effect can have on each other and how we can grow out of bad or sticky situations because of those bonds and i, I find that very interesting and super cool in regards to how he continues to find new ways to do that in this one story. Now granted, you know, the copy that I'm staring at right now that I got from the library is nearly 1200 pages long, so it's not like he it's not like he has a limited amount of time to build those relationships, but the fact is that he does and he makes it so real. It's just so like a lot of authors and a lot of filmmakers and anybody who's worked with a story before does a good, not everybody, but, you know, a lot of the well-known ones do a great job at, at making those characters seem real, right? And you think about like, wow, you know, it, to the point where you don't even think about it because it's just kind of the norm now, where in King's world, things are so developed, like, you know, almost too much about some characters 
the main characters and the background characters where like sometimes there's like somebody who wanders into the story doesn't isn't going to play this huge significant role but for some reason by the end of their section you know to like you know more than you ever need to know about that person and you think about it like some people would say well you know that's kind of fluff what's the point of that but to me what king is doing there whether it's intentional or not is helping to make this whole thing seem more real. Like, it, it just seems like you get this snapshot of Derry, Maine in 1958. And I, I find that so fascinating that he's able to do that with a fictional town, with these fictional characters, with everything that he's able to develop and make it seem so realistic because of all of those background details. So I have a hard time getting in that boat when people say, that King uses too much fluff because I, I do see the purpose of it. I, I think that maybe at points there, maybe it's overdone, but I see the grand scope of it. And I, I think because of that, I, I can learn to appreciate it whenever it's used. And especially in this story, because there's just a lot of that that unknowingly builds, especially through those dairy interludes that ends each part. Now, the next section or the next chapter is called The Smoke Hole. And the reason I'm going over it chapter by chapter just in this part here is because the smoke hole is essential. Because through research, the Losers Club had learned that Native American tribes had done this ritual in where they would create this kind of lodge and smoke out the lodge. And essentially it was like the the people, the highest people in the tribe would go into this lodge and they would light a fire, and it was basically like King of the Hill, last man standing, and the last person in the smoke hole is said to have some sort of vision. So they had this kind of background idea, kind of fail-safe, that if they were to do this, they could potentially end up with information and learn something that they need to know in order to defeat it. Now, you know, it's funny looking at them in this way because they're 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 11 at the time. So you think of them as like, you know, there, there's any number of things that they could have come across and they came across this one idea and you're as an adult like this is a terrible idea. Uh, knowing the story, it's a little bit different. But at the same time, one of those things where if you could imagine telling your parents like, oh, I'm going to go off into the barrens and and dig a hole and in our little our little uh our little fort down there we're gonna light a fire and smoke smoke ourselves out and uh interesting enough mike hanlon and ben end up having the uh or no sorry not mike my uh mike hanlon and um richie i believe i'm sorry i messed that up yes it was mike hanlon and richie who uh who get uh the smoke hole experience happens to which is pretty interesting and uh Essentially, at this point, this is where you learn, like, where it came from, which is really cool. And, like, something that, I guess, is not, like, super well-defined in the story. Like, he doesn't go into, like, incredible detail. But you learn that they end up basically back in, like, a prehistoric time. And they're having this vision of something, like, breaking through, like, a dimensional barrier and crash landing in what will eventually millions of years later become Derry, Maine. And that is essentially how the it entity got there in the first place. And that's also when you learn that it's so ancient and that's why 
dairy is basically just like this sick place. Like it has festered in this area for so very long that it's 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 inevitable that it's going to continue and kind of just suck the life out of everything that it can and feed basically because that's what it's doing every every 27 years when it comes up it is essentially just feeding so that it can go back to ground and continue now throughout the rest of this part uh part four here is essentially just henry and his crew terrorizing the losers club they end up uh, just completely brutalizing eddie during uh just towards the end of this section actually towards the middle of this section and then a lot of other things happen like the addition of this character named patrick hockstetter and patrick is like honestly if if this book does some weird things at the end like this story it goes places where will always be argued if it was needed and things that we're not even going to get into i'll bright very loosely brush over it there at the end but if patrick was the main antagonist the the role that henry takes in this story we would just be in for just a very weird ride because patrick is a incredibly strange character Honestly, Henry's not necessarily strange. Henry's twisted and, as the losers will call him, crazy. But Patrick is deranged. And uh, it's a very interesting character that he builds out of him as well. And in my personal opinion, opinion, the most brutal death in this entire story. It uh, it It is very, very graphic. And Beverly witnesses the whole thing. Some weird stuff happens before kind of one of those moments where you're like uh steve like i don't know man i don't i don't know if that was essential like i don't know if we necessarily needed that to better understand like what's like everything going on with patrick but you added it and i read it because it was a part of the story but it was a little bit weird man i don't know i i there's a lot i've read of stephen king and it, it i've i've read it you know many many of his books and there's been several times where i'm like oh well that's that's getting close to that line there my friend and it definitely it crosses the line uh like twice i would say it definitely crosses the line into like ooh, like i read it but i don't know man that was kind of weird i don't necessarily see the point of it i can understand part of it but i don't think it was necessary and it definitely i'll get more into this later but it's 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 interesting and then this goes through they end up actually going into the house on Nebolt street and confronting it for the first time they they've spent some time creating these silver bullets it's a whole section of this of this chapter here and beverly who's got like the you know got a really good um she's got a really good shot they have her like ready to man the uh the uh why can't i'm slipping my mind here slingshot yeah and it's an interesting scene and this is like this is the part here at the end of part four where you truly understand that they have some sort of advantage over it and at this point you're really unsure of it and even towards the end i think you have to really read into the major theme um, the the several major themes to kind of understand the power that they've always had over it. 
and that they continue to develop throughout the entire story because that's essentially what I saw through this is they were able to take that and continue to build it and that's how you were able to defeat it because I mean this thing long story short they went you know they win at the end which isn't always necessarily set in stone in a Stephen King book but that's what happens here I if you're listening to this podcast you're either never going to read it or you already have or you've seen the movie but they win and what they develop over the course of the story that he continues to build that I've talked about already is, I believe, the reason that they were able to beat it. Now, it doesn't make it easy, but it's the reason they were able to beat it. Now, going into part four, we get our fourth dairy interlude. Not our last one. There's one at the end of part five, at the very end of the book. But part five is titled The Ritual of Chud, which is something else that they figured out from ancient lore which is essentially a ritual that they're going to use to defeat it. And this is a very weird ritual. I've talked about it once uh, on the podcast. They they end up going into the ritual of Chud in the new um, mystery novel that he wrote called Later. Kind of interesting. I did that very, very early in the podcast. Uh, I like that book, by the way. And so they go, the ritual of Chud is essentially like you latch on to the other person's tongue and bite down. Like you essentially like go to kiss them, but then you bite each other's tongues somehow. But what you learn in it is like, that's actually like this mental game that you play. And so that's what they learn they're actually going to have to do in order to beat it as an entity. So we go through in part five and we're getting this mix of both the adults, and the kids. That's what's really cool about this. This is what I don't understand about why they didn't do this in the movie, is that they could have done it. It could have, maybe would have still been two movies, but in the in the newest It, for example, I can't remember the old one very well. I plan on watching it this week. But in the newest It, they're telling, they tell the kid's story first, part one, and then part two is the adult story. I liked it. It's really good, actually. I, I mean, I thought it was really good. But this, the way he weaves this is doable on film. I don't understand why he doesn't do it. So you're, like, it lives in the sewers. It lives really, really far beneath beneath Derry, and the only way to access kind of its little domain is through the sewers. So I love this section because the, both of them enter the sewers at the same time. So throughout these chapters, they're kind of going through the same process and reliving it, and you're experiencing that, and it's so cool. It's kind of everything, uh, all of these, this weaving that I've been talking about, really kind of, he showcases it in this last part, and I think it's so well done, and I, I really, really enjoy the way that he is able to, to kind of weave that together. They're essentially being chased down there, by uh, by Henry and his his remaining flunkies, which at this point is only two, but it's really cool, and I found that uh, I found that it kind of helps to drive the end of the story a little bit more because at this point you're so far into this really really long novel, and you're not giving up. You're certainly not giving up, but he he kind of almost had to switch it up somehow, and eventually they get in to its quarters and. Bill gets into the ritual of Chud with him, and this is where you're introduced to this experience, which is essentially like Bill being 
sucked down like a universal vacuum in space and like he experiences the turtle which is essentially they describe it as like the turtle threw up our universe and um he experiences this both as a child and as a kid you, and you get that simul almost simultaneously one after the other in the story and i i think it's so fascinating and i it's kind of this weird experience because when Bill goes through it, it's almost like he just learns what it takes to defeat it, which in my opinion was, and this is getting into the theme, is the themes that he drove, that Stephen King drove throughout this story, are essentially what it took for the Losers Club to defeat it. Companionship, love, and that's really essentially it. It was the, the bond that they created was what essentially destroyed it now it's fascinating and i'm going to get into a lot more of this when i do the episode with brian because it will be really fun to kind of go back and forth with somebody because there's so much here i feel like i didn't do it justice as far as what i could really what what could really be talked about but i think with it there's only so much that i can talk about by myself and i try to cover as much as i could this episode was a little bit more um I didn't write anything down. I just kind of went through it in a way that I, I wanted to kind of set up what the conversation could be and have that background stuff because we don't, I don't want to cover anything in regards to like necessarily going through the whole story. Now, after they defeat it, right, they're lost in the sewers. And because of this, the, and they can't find their way out, Eddie's kind of like their human compass and Eddie doesn't know his way out and this and that, everything. And this is when the really very bizarre part of the story happens. And it's so weird because, no joke, you have probably about 100 pages left. And the most out of left field, strange, will be talked about as long as Stephen King is talked about. Just very odd thing to put into a book. And I'm not even going to say it because it's so bizarre. If you know, you know. If you don't know, go look it up and you'll find it almost immediately. But it's very strange. And eventually, because of this act, they're able to find their way out. And it does, I mean, the point of it essentially, I believe, is showing love and companionship and all of that. But it's done in a very strange way, to say the absolute least. But overall, this is 100% one of my favorite stories of all time. I don't know if there's a better example of character development in this smaller, tight-knit group. I don't know if I've seen a book push a theme or two or three themes so consistently throughout so many pages and so many characters both in and out of protagonists and antagonists. Oh man, there's, uh, um, speaking of antagonists, I didn't even get much into uh, to Henry's return, which Brian and I will have to cover some of Henry just in general. We're going to spend some time with the villains in the story because they're so fascinating. But we're going to call it for right now. Next week, we're going to put out at least the first part. It might be the whole thing. Who knows? Of Brian and I covering it, talking about some ideas, talking about the book in general, and not necessarily going through all the fine little details. So as always, go get a library card. Check out it. I recommend that if you have a Kindle, get it on that because this thing is massive. And once you get to the middle, like nobody wants to read that. Nobody wants to hold that, I guess, is a better way to put it. And as always, I am Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Bindings. <laughs>